Ashton here with Love Life and Disability. Hi and welcome back to another episode of Love Life and Disability with me, Kay Ashton. Today I'm joined by Lauren. Hi Lauren, how are you doing? Hello Kay, I'm so happy to be here today and talk. Well thank you so much for joining. I came across Lauren through, as you guys will have already heard, I've got an incredible neighbour and she's called Jen. And Jen told me all about the lovely Lauren and how Lauren does Instagram lives, talking open, open and honestly about her eating disorder that she's been living with. So thank you so much for joining and welcome. Absolutely. Jen is my best friend, so you come highly recommended. Thank you. You met Jen through like a choir, like through singing. Yeah, it was, um, we went to the same vocal teacher who was not very good but um she put on this like um like night at like um the Lowry the Salford you know like the Lowry theatre so we were she brought a different students together and we did like shows together so like, yeah that's how me and Jen met and then we basically we stayed in contact all the way through and we, like Jen is one of my best friends and what um, kind of singing was it specifically so did you was you like an alto was you a soprano no it wasn't classical and it was all like modern. So um, when we're talking in modern terms, I mean, obviously you've got your basic, you know, music theory and all your notes and pitching. And obviously you do have your tenor, your bass, your alto, mm-hmm. your soprano, your soprano, mezzo, soprano, whatever. But when you're doing like popular music, because people think like you're trained in like music, then it's, it must be classical because you're mm-hmm. trained. No, I went to what was known at the time rock school, but it was like a private music university. It's now turned into this big, in, like, international like institution. It's been taken over by some company, and it's everywhere. But when we went, it was like an elite kind of like. Um, well, it was. It was a rock school. It was just literally like the best time ever. It was just contemporary music. On lockdown, I've just been like on YouTube trying to like find my passion again for music and like pretend I'm in my music videos which is what I used to do all the time and I still do it now I did it last night when I was in my knickers on the bed (gasps) (laughs) that's perfectly fine I was bouncing around fully dressed on my bed pretending that I was in like music videos and my mum came in and she said what the hell are you doing I was like I'm Jamara Twain like you're in my video get out um but no but that kind of like it's that which makes you really like whole because with a lot of people um with like contemporary music it's so great you know you've got such mm-hmm. a passion for it and then sometimes there are exceptionally big egos and it can it can grate a bit so mm-hmm. people can end up feeling you know oh well, I'm not good enough because you know you think that someone else is better but it's not about that it's about you've got your own unique tone no one has got your voice the same way as you know no one has got your body no one has got you because it, you are unique you're special you've got your own talents your own abilities your own flaws your own whatever because you are the way you're supposed to be perfect but um <laughs> perfect <laughs> um but yeah but no but it, it i just love it and i've been trying to get back into it just to um just to do it just to get back into it because it was such a big passion it was the only thing that mattered I can't remember the the name of it you really like the oxytocin so like if you find that true passion that you really love when you're doing it and you're singing it's those chemicals that you rate that you release which is like apparently being in love it's insane like when you are waiting to go on stage you're literally like I can't remember the words I can't even remember the first lyric I can't and then you get on stage and you're just like 
praying to God that this word is going to come to you. And like, I remember being on stage in like high school when I used to like sing at the end of the assemblies. Um, and there I was like with my mic on like the stage, like, oh my God, my legs were like shaking, like jelly. I was like, I'm surprised it full flat on my face when I get to the end of the song that like the head teacher would like shake my hand and I would be like dying inside. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But no, it was, it was great um, when I went down to Brighton um, for the 18th Christmas Music University because I knew no one. So it was a really great environment to become independent and really kind of develop. And being in like, a close knit um, situation with the same people every single day for like Monday to Friday, basically, and every day for the first year. Um, with the same people, it's great. It's so exciting to be around people that are so like, excited about music and it's not just the students it's the teachers as well you won't just find students that like these house parties we go in and the vocal teacher will be there like <laughs> line, and be like, what are you doing in my house party like go away <laughs> you really can music can heal a hell of a lot of things especially like recovery it's a really helpful thing yeah, yeah. and how have you found music during recovery um like where did your journey first begin with your eating disorders Wow, okay. So my journey would be like if we were to transpose it, transcribe it, it would be like an epic feature film like Dances with Wolves, like Gone with the Wind, that kind of thing. Yeah. Epic. Um, so I'll probably just um shrink it down a bit. When I was 10, no, nine, 10, so like year six, I had an ovarian cyst, which was really like random out of the blue. No one knew what was wrong with me, it was just in pain a lot of the time. And then, Every time I was in hospital, like they would say that I was just making it up. Like I was sitting in my in my year six sat exams, and I specifically remember this moment. I was in this room because this study used to be my bedroom when I was younger, and um, and I can remember what I was wearing. I had like this red nose day like oversized t-shirt on because I was like nine to it from my parents, and it had a, a like a big red tomato like in the middle. And when it was hot, it would go red, but otherwise it was like orange so there I was standing there and I was like crying my eyes out like in so much pain and obviously nine years old like it's and but I got sent to school anyway to the exams and I got to the school and I just lay down by the school gate like inside and I just lay there and eventually the head teacher came out grabbed me by the arm and hauled me across like the um the playground to go to like the mobile home that was like the classroom and then we got taken can't remember but we, I was in the exam and I was just I just was so ill Um, I left and like went ran to the toilet and it was sick everywhere and then the teacher said well she's like she's done that on purpose when my mum got phone to go down but then when she got me she took me to the doctor straight away and that's when the whole thing kicked off because I was in and out for a long time until they found out what was actually wrong so I got taken down for like um, surgery and I didn't know what they were looking for, but they needed to do something. Yeah. Um, and then they found a massive big ovarian cyst. Um, so they had to come running out and speak to my mom and my dad and be like, like, we've got to take it. And I've only learned recently that it was, they thought it was cancer. And I'm like, why are you only telling me this now? Like 20 years on, like, you do not have told me this at the time. But no, so I was in hospital for a very long time after that. But I have big traumas from that from like that have happened about like people not believing you and mm -hmm. um, hospitals and um, like I used to be 
from that, I was exceptionally phobic of needles for years, even decades, because this Dutch idiot came at me with like a needle like that big, and I ended up throwing up all over the because we'd given him so much morphine, but it was horrible. Um, so anyway, and I've never had an issue with like before then. So when I was transitioning into going back into school, I was taken with my mom because she was chatting to her teacher. And the first thing that I teach says to me was, oh, man, you have put on weight, haven't you? And bingo, that's where it started. And it started, like, becoming, I, in high school, I was a competitive swimmer. So this, this um, the swim, like, team in Macclesfield is satellite. So I was part of the satellite, um, the high, the top bit. Yeah. Um, so I was a swimmer. Um, but I was, like, I just, I I, I just used to like eat all the time when I was in like year seven, year eight. So we feel like comfort eating from like really bad bullying, which I won't go into now because it'll just go on forever. But um, really, um, so they, like my eating kind of, I don't even realize that at the time it was like a problem because you don't really think about that when you're 11 years old. But definitely now it's been like, there would have been episodes definitely like that I would class binge eating. I always used to feel like, the fat one even though like, I could swim like I, I always felt so uncomfortable and like especially I got really 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 bullied in school like ridiculous I fainted once and they decided to say that I was giving birth in the hallway people used to spit on me like kick my chair like just kick me uh telling telling the whole year that I wasn't wearing any knickers like just all of these awful things I mean like the friendship that I had kept breaking apart because people like would one day be like the best of friends and then the next day just for the fun of it they just wouldn't talk to you all day and you're like what have you well, like and you get that horrible feeling of like what have I done wrong like um so I had a pretty tough time at school um so music was always the one that I came back to I'd come home and like go to a little music world and it wouldn't matter but this like being overweight was you know was a big problem um and I didn't really um do anything about it until I moved down to Brighton and just lost weight initially and um, because you know I was walking like 10 miles a day but you do in Brighton you walk everywhere and it's so you just get healthier and obviously you're cooking for yourself and whatever you're doing more so I just lost weight gradually and then um going into the second year one of um my friends from home that taking the gap year joined and um, I told her she was a good thing after to join Bit and um, would come and get a audition for them which she did and she got in so I said to move in like where I was because I was staying in the house but the others were moving out so we went down and that was fine but like just on that um the beginning of that year we found out that um one of our classmates from the previous like from the first year had um, died of breast cancer because she'd had breast cancer all year wow. 18 and she hadn't told anybody so it was it, so the whole so this like the second year started with a massive big funeral and then my nana died and then my other nana died and it was quite um I think you don't realize it at the time but it but it, it, it does kind of hit you and I had this moment in the second year after the funeral where I don't know if you've ever experienced it because it's really weird it's like I think it's called sleep napnea sleep and that's me it's like when you wake up and you feel like someone's sitting on you there's a pressure pushing mm -hmm. down you, but you can't move you can't yeah I had one of those experiences after the funeral and I was like oh my god this is like scaring the life out of me but um but yeah so the second year was a bit turbulent um 
what sort of issues going on with friendships and things like that. But okay. um, but then the third year was you you had to re-audition to get into third year because there was about eighty of us and there was twelve places. Wow. Um, for the vocal lists, um, luckily got in. That was great. But then I started to I was living with two best friends in Brighton. They were were no longer studying. They were Claire was running a pub and working and in fact Claire hadn't even done second year and Steph was being managed um, by the BIM directors because they, they had a band called a girl band called Mascara so she was doing that all the time so then my and I was on the new degree so we weren't in it often and I started working um, at this place where we always called Telegen in the middle of Brighton um, and I met like new friends from that so I had cool. kind of two different like lifestyles going on at once either or three actually <laughs> Um, so I I was like on this idea that like okay well if I'm gonna be successful and what I want to do I'm gonna have to look commercially acceptable which is yeah. total bullshit as we you know. think that has a big um, impact like how the media perceives us as artists huge huge amount I think it's so dangerous for kids nowadays because there's this ignorance to people thinking that oh, it, like, if you've got an eating disorder, it's just like, there's this idea that it's a middle-class girl or woman who wants to be skinny. And it's like, I wasn't lying in intensive care, weighing three stone, like, 63 pounds, like, thinking, yay, go me, I didn't know Victoria Beckham. Oh, my God. Like, it doesn't, like, uh, when you are that sick, it, it doesn't, cross your mind and it really yeah. really really gets to me that people think even now in an age where like mental health awareness is so you know looked upon that and like on the first lockdown they covered um like all the mental health do you remember they did like times mm-hmm. like these like um like the song where the food fighters and um, you know they're talking about all the different mental health illnesses and in no way shape or form were, were eating disorders like considered in that yeah, it's anorexia. It has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. And I have had four friends die. Like, it, it's a fact. It's not a myth. Three of them were extreme suicide methods. And one dropped down down of a heart attack two weeks ago because she'd been battling uh, an eating disorder for 20 years since she was 12. Wow. And her body, you know, gave up. And it's like, it's um there's a need to I'm a really big advocate of bringing in like mental health needs to be a topic that we discuss in schools like it needs to be installed into the curriculum in uh, in kids in primary school because that's where it starts like it's it's the interactions that you have when you're younger and also you know with the earlier thing that I was watching with Kate Middleton is really focused on like the early years of like your children between like naught to five years old. Um because it it's it's the it's these years that you're gonna your child is gonna have the most impact on a big father. Um so like what you because my first experiences come from primary school and a lot of people as well as well your early traumas that can trigger anything in your life. So like I think just as like respect like my high school was called respected religious education they should be having mental health as well because it should be okay to as you go to the doctor if you've got an ear infection or if you have a pain or 
uh, you've found a lump. I mean, you wouldn't think twice about going no, to the doctor. Go. Do what? Why? Why are we feeling embarrassed and shamed about going to the doctor if you're feeling depressed or do you have anxiety or you think you ha might have um, an illness, say an eating disorder, or you might have an addiction? It, it should be for you know for the kids. It should be totally normal thing 20 years time it, it's a given thing there's a gentleman who's called dr gabo i think dr gabo mate i think hopefully pronouncing his name right sorry dude if you're listening and i'm not but i'll write it below anyway is he is a best-selling author and also speaker and he talks about childhood trauma so it's all the childhood stuff that happens to you as a child which then affects us later on in life and why we may do some of the stuff that we do so in his case it's like addiction expert so obviously addiction can come in many ways from eating to alcohol to drugs to different things and he does quite a lot on that and to my understanding he was an alcoholic and is now in recovery and yeah. his was linked to him by his childhood trauma yeah a lot of the time a lot of things come from these traumas that are like mini it's not necessarily people think oh some big thing must have happened due to this way. And, and yeah, some of the time that is true, but a lot of the time it's the mini traumas yeah. that collect over and over and over and over again. And the more time you, because I recently recently had RTT therapy, which was a bit like hypnosis, I'll explain more in a minute, but he basically said to me like, because I said at the end of the session, I was like, we didn't really go past the age of 10. And she was like, yeah, we didn't need to, because like, we don't need to go over the same type of trauma. We need to look like some she said to me, when's the first time you felt like you were worthless? Or when was the first time that you felt a certain way? And I would say, and then she's like, well, you know, and then she would say, say it back to yourself, like you're not that person now, like you're totally different. I'm taking back the control. It was all a bit hippish, but it made a lot of sense mm -hmm. that you don't need to look at every single trauma. If they are the same. And if there are the same trauma, you look at, you know, you look at the beginning and that's where you can start to heal. But my God, you know, childhood trauma is, is the, the basis of all mental health. Like, we I won't talk about mental health. No. It's hard for your family members. I think it's quite difficult because I just want me to be okay. Mm -hmm. And especially with my dad it, and my brother, it can come quite as quite aggressive. Um, but it's not, it's not that way now. It's, um, it's, it's it's good now but it's um it's a hard it's a hard yeah. thing to do and it's a hard thing to kind of like recognize it and see it happening and it devastated me seeing about Nikki Graham mm -hmm. and I'm like she's like eight years older than me and her body just like I'm presuming because they've not said anything other than like she's died like I'm, I'm just guessing that you know her body just gave up which and like my mom said to me does, does that not you and I was like it should do yeah but there's this thing where like I, I had it even when I was lying in intensive care it's like you can say to me your organs are failing and like you very well will die and it's like this you go numb to it and I'm like but the fact that I go numb to it and I'm sitting here now like the fact that I know that I should scare the hell out of me and if it was any of my friends I, I would be like on them like a but there's just, there's this disconnect, there's this numbness that just mm -hmm. will not allow me to open it because maybe if that opens, I don't know what's going to come out. And may maybe that 
maybe that's a thing because I it's you feel sometimes like you're a bystander of your own life because sometimes I struggle with it and so my, with my diagnosis um there are two types of anorexia you've and obviously there's bulimia and binging disorder and there's ethnos which is eating disorder non-other specified something um, it's where you can't put them in a category so there's anorexia nervosa and there's anorexia nervosa binge purge subtype which is your weight is anorexic but you engage um, with purging or you over exercise or you abuse laxatives um, so I have struggled with every single avenue that I need to go down initially it was um, putting my body into ketosis and leaving it there and then being eventually just terrified of being anything. Then I went from that to taking laxatives. Um, and that was just awful. I got to a point where I was, I had in my hand like 30, you know, a hundred yellow door collapse tablets. And I just looked yeah. at it and I just couldn't anymore. It just made me down. Just and I went stone cold, but then I got taken home. I sort of binge eating really badly and I locked myself in my room. I was hysterical. Like my head was on fire, I couldn't cope. And then one day I just bent over in the middle of this and suddenly everything came out and it was like, ping, now I can function. And then that's when my weight started to drop dramatically low, very, very, very quickly. And that's when the hospital admission started to kick in. But um, it, it's, a, it's a difficult um, thing to do because you, you're, you're like, if I was to write down on paper, everything that like was entailed in the story of saying my life so far it would be quite shocking I think but because I'm just like going through it I don't you don't really think about it in the moment do you you just kind no. of like adapt you you just adapt to the situation you're in because you have to you don't have a choice like I got sent to Glasgow because there was only there was no beds left in the UK and I got my weight dropped so badly that I needed to be in hospital immediately but they had no beds available um, and my mum was adamant that I was going to hospital and she yeah. found out there was some bed in Glasgow Priory that I was going to so off I went and I was fucking traumatised um because that place is awful but I get annoyed at myself because it's not it's not something that I am deciding to do nor has anyone with an eating disorder they, they have not chosen it it's not a case of oh like someone said in a panel the other week which I got really annoyed about you don't suddenly choose whether you've got it or not it's like a switch you can't turn it on and off you it's not it's not just a poof suddenly someone died and it's gone because of that and i'm like well i've had four friends die and mine's definitely still here like i i think it's a it's a really it's a really rocky thing to talk about because you know at the moment people who are of a healthy weight but are struggling mentally they are the people that are being, you know, falling down the cracks because, you know, doctors turn around and, you know, say to them, well, you know, you ate all right. So the people that they are supposed to be providing the care sometimes make it worse. And to turn somebody away when they're in crisis, mm -hmm. because the physical is seen before the mental, because the physical yeah. consequence is so dramatic, but you shouldn't have to allow that person to get to that point because that to reach that level I can't even begin to put in words what what that is like there, there is this pain that you have that gives you that 
you you know like that your peer who's struggling maybe with a different disorder you have the connection you have more of an understanding of what you you might be feeling but other than that people can empathize but there's just this horrendous like pain and it's just it's so difficult to actually get back get yourself back up so to sit back and go oh well you're just going to wait till you're really ill and then we'll treat you well we might die before then because you know if you if you believe it and you you know had a really bad session and your electrolytes have gone out then boom you can just go and it's it's, it's a really really scary time because there are a lot of people that are not getting the help and that's what like I'm trying to do with my body my voice you know but not very successfully yet but um you just want to help people really just want to help and just just you know really fight against it and we're going to take it to her majesty and see if she'll sign something to say it has to go away a lot of the time if you've got a hidden condition or physical people don't see it so as you were saying if you are of a normal way or you're looking healthy so to speak it's they'll just go yeah you're fine and then they just disregard you because that's what they're seeing but it's the mental part the the, the non-visible part which is the most yeah struggle. i see it as like people if our, we have like balls of energy which i know people think we do but if we could just see these balls of energy on our head and we can see that the color's not right then if you could see it then you can treat it i think but you can't treat something that you can't see or at least that seems to be the way they look at eating disorders like they'll try throwing things at it and see if it works and if it doesn't they'll try something else and it's like you know it's not you know a you know a rehearsal exam like we need to really like look at this and and but like I just it's um it's it's I just don't think we're there yet with eating disorders and I, I really do think there is a huge gap. I've always found as well the people that have been through and come out of the hardship or maybe still experiencing the journey together but that they're on the way or they're on the way and on the road to recovery are usually the best people to be working in these situations or speaking at events instead of absolutely there's um there's this quote i always like and and I, i'm not particularly religious but i do believe i've been reading a lot of lorna Byrne. i don't even heard about it she's like she's like this woman who like has seen angels ever since she was born she can like she just writes all about it and initially i was like because basically my dad had bought me a Kindle to cope while I was in the hospital. Um, and so I just started on this book and I was like, this woman's either that shit crazy or she's onto something. Um, God gives his hardest battle to his strongest soldiers. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. But my favourite quote at the time was, this too shall pass. Everything is temporary, everything. And that moment, it, that's really helped in moments where you're suicidal uh, to the point of, like, I have been at points where that's been the only rational option. Um, and yes, I overdosed. Um, not a lot of people know this. Can't quite believe I'm actually saying this, but I did overdose and I was fine because um, my body seems to just intake a lot of medication and it didn't affect me, but I wasn't on story overnight. But um, it's it, in those moments that you need that little sparkle of light. And there, all, there always is. There is always that tiny bit that if you can just ride that feeling out, 
even if you have to scream or smash something, my God, like, oh, that's what we need. We need a smash bash like session to, just to show you. And that's why, like, I write on this, my body, my voice things. There is always, it, it will pass. And, yeah. um, you know, and there are, you know, brighter days coming that always will be as long as you have, you know, the attention and you're alert to the fact that this is, you're feeling this way because of how unwell you are and it's overwhelming you and it's devastating and you do not deserve to be feeling like this whatsoever. It, it, it's insane. You you don't feel worthy of being in your own body. You don't even know yourself. It, you're just numb. Um, and it's just, it's um, yeah, it's just but it's very hard to get through things when you've had three friends. I mean, my friend Hannah, she was a... Um, her dad's like the head professor at Manchester University in medicine and she was um, at uni doing medicine as well and she actually got um, discharged from our hospital ward which is um, overseas in Glasgow it's a local one which is in Liverpool so it's not really local but it's more local than Glasgow yeah. um, and she was she discharged she'd gone home she was working a little bit and she because her but then she overdosed because she couldn't cope with obviously the whole illness and having gained the weight because they don't they don't treat you in hospital they just feed you so they don't work on you mentally so you're more mentally scarred when you come out than you were when you went in and you weigh more so that's even more of a pain on you um and she um she was refused on to the eating source floor, even though there were beds because the doctor said her BMI wasn't low enough. Well, wow. she got so they put her on um, a, an acute psychiatric ward at the Priory in Cheadle, and then her parents went. And this, the thing with this is, and this is what I'll never forgive myself for, is that I was supposed to be visiting her that night. Well, because I had such a bus stop with my sister that night, I ended up not going and her parents went instead. And I always think, would this have happened if I'd gone? But we can't dwell on that. Yeah. Um, so opposite Cheadle, um, prior, I don't if you know the area, is John Lewis. So her parents taken there for coffee and they'd gone up, upstairs to the cafe. Her dad had gone to get the drinks. Now Hannah was like, oh, we just need to go in like, and get another drink or something. And I remember her mum signing condo parents, but it was really weird. And then she'd like drop like a letter under the table. Um, and then the next thing you know, she's throwing herself off the top of John Lewis. Wow. And then ended up dying in her mum and dad's arms in the ambulance on the way. And she was only 21. And then about eight weeks later, one of my other friends, um, she threw herself in front of the train and stuff but yeah it's um yeah yeah it's it's you know it's awful for anybody to have to struggle it's self-harm you know you know if you you know people that suffer with you know bad self-harming it's that release it's that you need to get that, that pain that you can't see and you don't know yourself about how to express that to someone. So the only way in that tiny moment of time is just, you know, just slip. And it's, it, you know, it's people's, you know, way of coping just as like 
I think mean, you saw someone's way of coping or an addiction or, you know, anxiety or OCD or something like that. It's something that needs to be relieved out of your body. And the way for me is that, is that, that me, with me purging, that's my relief. That's my in control again. But then it's like, well, you're not in control again because you've basically got more pain now in your stomach than you did before. You feel violently sick and like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be recovering. So it's, it's just, it's a very difficult thing. It takes what well, I'm learning. It takes seems to take an army to take on a meat disorder. But I just want to make it so clear that anyone's with a meat disorder at any stage mm-hmm. don't like. It's no one's fault. It's not a choice. You have not decided to be this way because the world will tell you, oh, you know, she doesn't get any sandwich. Oh, she's attention seeking. She's the skinniest person in the room. Or like, I remember in a therapy session in Glasgow. This woman handed out like this, this sheet of paper saying that, like, and they just read it out loud. Saying, if you got in a lift and there was someone in there that was bigger than you, then you would feel superior because you were thinner. But if someone got in a lift and you were, and you thought they were thinner than you, then you would feel bad and you would feel like you had to be that thin. And I was, I just stood up, I just walked out. I was like, that's absolute bollocks. Like, what are you doing? That's not been written by someone with an eating disorder. That's the thing. The eating and the food is the consequence. Like, if you're not going to treat the brain, like, they don't go with people with bipolar. Like, we'll just leave you, you know, until it gets really bad because we don't know how to treat you. It's a, it, it's a, it, it's a wild and varied topic that really needs some serious funding mm-hmm. and it needs some seriously great people to, to help and to be, you know, training people. And I think, like you said, the best people to do this are people that have gone through it. And one of my, my best friends that I met at Children's Hospital, and um, she's basically my Tweedledee. Well, she's my Tweedledum, my Tweedledee. Alison Wonderland, yes, we did reference number two. Um, um, and she had a really arduous track with anorexia and her dad died halfway through and she said she had six admissions. She, she's amazing. She's such an inspiration. And um, she went on to a psychology degree. Then she got a master's in clinical psychology and is now working as an assistant psychologist at yeah. the CAMS, which is Children's Centre, where she was sent originally, where they told her that they couldn't treat her because she wasn't thin enough. So it's now being turned full round and she's going to basically cure that whole thing. So there you go. And we need this to happen, though. Yeah, all yeah. places. But I just think I think we really need to kind of build a big team and really get a handle on on how we how we you know how are we going to deal with anorexia and bulimia and binging? So what are we going to do? Because you know we don't want. I mean, we can't stop people. Don't obviously, but we we want to put in as much effort as we can to make sure that that things that are happening, we should be learning from these things and. It, it, it's a it's a painfully hard thing to learn when you are standing up in front of an entire crematorium and church and giving eulogies on three of your friends. It's it's um I mean it's yeah uh, it's just a devastatingly tragic time and to have you know parents and siblings have lost you know their sister and child is just you know it blows my mind to think that in itself as well I always think if I feel really bad I'm always like well what like how 
how, like, what would it feel like if my like say if like my parents came home and found me dead on the bathroom floor or what what if I'd gone away with Jen Libby and and Becky and we'd gone out and then like we went to bed and then one like in the morning I just didn't wake up because previous about a couple of months ago this girl um same age as like me had actually set up a pretty similar Instagram about her recovery um and she'd gone on a plane to Gran Canaria she was from Germany she'd gone on a plane to Gran Canaria with her mum and her friend and she'd gone to sleep on a friend's lap on the plane and she never woke up wow it's just it's um, linked to 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 the eating disorder and just body yeah I do think more work needs to be done and you know we've recently lost Nikki um people I'm sure around the world would know that within um she was on celebrity big brother and you know it at what point is it now going to be taught seriously you know we shouldn't be having to lose people celebrities everyday people for for the government or medical professionals to now to start to take it seriously i never i've never watched love island right so i'm not that ditzy yeah. but the reason i bring this up is because there was like a doctor on it like dr, yeah, dr. Alex he's just recently yeah. there was a picture on instagram with him and boris johnson boris is like oh. yeah and um, he's like got a, like a piece of paper saying he'd managed to get like about 79 grand or something i don't know yeah, um yeah, but mental health, I'm thinking, right then, if he can do it, I'll pop on my best smile and off I go. Like, they're being serious because, like, they need, they need the resources yeah. and they need that. It's just, I, you know, the, the more, the longer you leave it, the worse it gets. And mm. it's it's just needed because mental health is, is so critical and because you can't see mental health, it's... And it, it, it is, it is yeah, within it itself, like you said the other day, it, it is a disability in itself, yeah. but not to the person, to the, to, it, it's the ignorance of people looking at this person. Because, I mean, I've been there, but people are like, when I was like really, really bad, and um, people was like, grow up, and if you like, especially abroad, the French, we went to Euro Disney, me and my friend, actually from hospital, because we booked it in hospital, and they've got, they don't care in France. They're just like that, and they just like stare. It's just like it, it's the ignorance. It's like you can't. It's not a disability. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, you know. It's just like an an infection of your mind. And yeah, you know, unfortunately, your mind gets worse because they go, oh well, you know, you're still in a healthy weight range. So you're not as bad as say someone that isn't. So we'll give priority to them. But you know what? six months down the line they could be at a point where it's like if you don't come into hospital we'll have to sit up you because you're gonna die i was gonna disney was gonna be my next thing so you've yeah i'm going to your euro disney last year um was it last year in autumn no it was years ago um as a family when i was younger but now it was like eight yeah it was been like seven or eight so you went to family when younger and then i went back uh when did we go 2015 Maybe 14, 15, yeah. Cool. Um, Me and my friend absolutely loved it. Oh my God. It's so happy. You can't leave. The minute you walk in through the gate, big parade, and Mickey's there, and like Woody, and this big parade, and I'm like, no one is like, everyone's smiling. It's such a happy place. Like, I I would happily live in Disneyland. 
my, my favourite stitch. I love stitch. Your favourite's what, sorry? Stitch. Oh, I've not seen Lilo and Stitch, you know. It's... That's the only one I've not seen. Oh, that is so cute. I've got a baby thumper. Oh. And a tigger. I, like I used to get called Tigger in hospital because I used to bounce around too much. <laughs> I blame Disney for my high expectation in men because... Yeah, totally. I had this conversation the other night. I was like, why? Is it not? Because my favourite is Sleeping Beauty. I still like it. I'm like, well, where's my Prince Charming? Like, when's he arriving? Like, I was looking there and going, is he coming anytime soon? Like, we're going to get married in Ibiza next year. Where's Prince Charming? Is he going to meet me there? Like, with birds and butterflies, like, enchanted. It's like, I've always loved Disney and anyone that ever known me so... A few years ago when I went to Florida with my parents, I went to the, it's called the Polyvian, and it's this venue that overlooks Magic Kingdom, which is where your castle is. And there's like a huge lake in front of it. And it's just a white, white little chapel sort of thing, but kind of like, it looks kind of like a teepee tent sort of thing. And it is extremely beautiful. And as you go in, um, it's got like the happily ever after, once upon a time, and you can put your finger out. And I worked out the pricing, bearing in mind I was single, worked out how much it would cost, and it would be like £7,000 in our money at that moment in time. And they do it as a package. Seems yeah, cheap for that. Exactly. So I sat there and I thought to myself, I thought, even if I went for the top, top, top package, you're probably talking, even that was only like 25 k like for the top kind of package. And I look at what people are spending over here. I sat there and thought, even if I went for a medium package at 10 k I'm not being funny, mum and dad, but you go on holiday every year. Anyway, you can pay for your own flights. I'll sort out the villa because then he can have one and I can have the other. And then happy days. Everyone wants to go on holiday anyway. Um, so they can sort out their own flights. Um, obviously, I'll, take my, I'll pay for my best mate because she wouldn't usually go to Florida. And I said, even if, even if you had to pay for your friends, it's still cheaper than what it would be if... Thank you, because everyone else could then, if you give them notice then they can just go on holiday when you're there. And I love America. So then I can Oh my goodness, I've never America. been, but I've always wanted amazing. to go. That would be amazing. It is incredible. Amazing. I always say a Florida, well, California was where I found myself. It's, oh, wow. That's because I went when I was... Talk to me about that. 21, 22. Uh-huh. I'd gone in and out of relationships and had split with like the love of my life back then and thought do you know what it's I was in a bit of an awkward time of the life and I thought yeah. you know what I just need to get away from everything go away and I went and it's one of those where you kind of like on your own but you meet new people as well so then it was you're being accepted for you on face value and people get to know you for you it's not it wasn't oh what's wrong with you or you know why have you got a crutch or I just wasn't, people was accepting me for me and they got to know me for me and yeah. made some great friends whilst I was out there. And then I thought, you know what, I'm a bit bored of California now, I'm going to go to New York. So I'd fly to New York. And then Maybe I'd have people in the same, who had the same disability as myself. Yeah. And we're still all talking today, like we're still all good friends. It's amazing. And meeting up with the charities and stuff whilst I was in New York, um, again, for the same disability that I had. And I thought, I'm going to start to use some of these connections that I've got to then meet other people. And it's just, I think, because you, you're kind of on your own, but you're not on your own at the same time. So I, I remember once I was on a train 
and like I'm on a crutch and I only had a little suitcase and this lady was like oh my god where are you from and I was just like oh the Americans so I, was I was getting on the bus in Brighton once and this guy started talking to me all the way and I was like, what are you doing? Like, it's not, a, it's not done in Britain. We don't talk to each other. We glare. <laughs> and I've made good friends with them and I'm still friends with them today. So like one of them, she, she was like, well, where are you going? So I told her and she's like, oh, it's really nice. I recommend this place. And then anyway, she got off the, the train with me I was like oh I, where are you going by the way she went oh my stop was several stops ago but I just knew this station wasn't accessible so I thought I'd help you out that's so kind like, wow met, met a gorgeous young man um when I was in Inglewood and it was really cold Inglewood. One night. I've never heard that. it's in LA it's rough as hell and I lent him my jacket and it was one of my favorite jackets Anyway, yeah. I slept in late and needed my flight, so I pegged it to the airport and totally forgot to get my jacket. Anyway, he texted me and he went, hey, Kay, he says, where are you? So I says, oh, I'm in San Fran. And he went, I've still got your jacket. He says, I'll drive down and meet you tomorrow. He drove seven hours to come and give me my jacket back. You met some pretty nice Americans. I was like, marry me. So cool. So nice. So with you and your... Um, Instagram channel what's next for my body my voice and I guess as well I did the name come about how we discussed things before so you spoke about you know it's my body it's my voice it's unique is that how you came about the name uh, the, your Instagram so how it all started was I got put in contact with um, a few people that I used to go to film with so I'm just um, and actually one of the ones is the um, she was like head of student support and stuff so it came about, um, and she was like the head of student support and stuff. So I've gone that reconnected with them. And we were talking about doing something with, with eating disorders for mental health at Finn. And so we chatted and we like just got on really well. So we started it as like a weekly Zoom thing, and both her and Caitlin were like, oh my God, like we've been talking, we we think you should be a brand. I was like, literally fell off my chair I was like absolutely not that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard they eventually talked me into it and they were like they were coming up with names and I was like no it's not working and then Caitlin was like oh what about my body my voice and I was like "Mm, okay that seems like the most sensible because then a few people say well what isn't it my voice my body and I was like it doesn't roll off the tongue in the same way um so then it kind of went from there and then I had to do like a, a what, a how, a who, why. Yeah. And then like, and she was like, oh, it'd be really cool if she's like live, like every week like, after work, like the people to watch. And I was like, okay. So um, that kickstarted that off. And it's just kind of like carried on. I mean, it's not, I think we're on about 200 followers. It's, it's not um, growing as I hoped, um, but um and we managed to raise about 500 quid for eating disorders awareness week. So that was good. Um, well, the last time we did something for that, we managed to raise about one and a half grand, but I had, but it was over a longer period of time. Um, whereas this time I put it up the like at 1 a.m. when it was starting on the Monday. It didn't really give them much choice, but um, I was it's a peer-to-peer platform, like mentoring service to anyone like struggling with an eating disorder especially vocalist or any kind of like young performers or young musicians but generally anyone struggling with an eating disorder where can people go then to find out some inf- more information about yourself than lauren at 
my body underscore my voice. We will be growing, growing in size. There's lots of ice pots. There's a lot of ways to go. We're going to set up a Facebook group. Apparently, it's going to be a YouTube thing. Yep. Maybe we'll call Kate and Will and see if that'll, that'll help in any way. The Heads Together campaign, with which is again is mental health in sport, which um, Harry and William set up as well. Well, thank you so much, though, for, for, for joining the podcast. No, thank you. It's been lovely. And, you know, it'd be great to keep, keep an eye on your journey and to keep following um, as, as you grow. Absolutely. I'd love you to come and do a live with me. Definitely. I'll invite you back on. Sounds good. And do a live Instagram. We'll get something in for sure. Absolutely. I love speaking with you today. And you. Thank you so much. It was so much fun.